All right, welcome to At The Movies. Um, this is going to be a blast. So you've got your popcorn. We hope you have your popcorn. I should hear a lot of munching as we go through these next four weeks. Um, this morning, I'm super pumped about the, the movie that we're kicking things off with. But the movie that we're starting with actually was a cartoon before it was a movie. So just to kind of get you prepared for this, um, I'm gonna, we're going to show a little clip, and we're going to see if we can take you, transport you back to Saturday mornings in the 80s. So thankfully, it became a movie, right? <laughs> and so this morning, we're going to be talking about Transformers. Um, so like, like the 80s, how many of you are, um, I'm kind of a product of the 80s. Who in here is kind of a product of the 80s? Um, I graduated high school the year that Transformers came out as a cartoon. Oh, what does that make me? So, like, like a lot of things in the 80s that could, like, the 80s were kind of weird. They had some weird elements, right? Um, shoulder pads, right? Who wore shoulder pads in the 80s? Men, raise your hands because we did it too, right? It's crazy, right? Um, leg warmers, men can keep their hands down on that one, right? I don't think we did. Anybody do the oversized sweatshirt with leg warmers? But David, were you using your hand just then? Oh, just checking. Like, um, okay, men. Parachute pants. Yeah, I did too. Like mine, mine were gray, and they had zippers everywhere. And like, anyway, so some weird stuff going on in the '80s, right? Um, now, listen, for better or for worse, I keep telling my kids because they keep walking in telling me about trends today, and I'm like, you know that you're just recycling the '80s. We can't seem to get away from the 80s. The 80s are everywhere all the time. Um, but just like those things that are kind of weird. So Transformers, the storyline of Transformers, a little bit weird, okay? I'm just going to read the official storyline. Here we go. The fate of humanity is at stake when two races of robots, the good Autobots and the villainous Decepticons, bring their war to Earth. As a matter of fact, the slogan, the, the tagline for this movie was, their war, our world. So they kind of brought their war here. The robots have the ability to change into different mechanical objects as they seek to, the key to ultimate power. Only a human youth, Sam Witwicky, can save the world from total destruction. You know he had a hard time in middle school. With a name like that, right? Wit Wiki. What in the world? So what I want you to think about is in that, that the song that we just heard, the theme song from the cartoon, did you hear the, the lines, um, robots in disguise and more than meets the eye? And that's what I want us to focus on this morning. I want us to talk about how, like, there's still, believe it or not, there's still a war that rages in the heavenlies that comes down onto this planet. There's a spiritual war that has invaded this realm, and we still kind of feel the, 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 the heat of that. We feel the struggle of that sometimes um, in our own lives. And so this morning, we want to talk about maybe how do we overcome, how do we see victory in that fight. And here's what I want you to see more than anything else. I want you to see that the key for us is to see beyond just what's going on around us, right? So more than meets the eye. Robots in disguise, and, and the Transformers, it's crazy. Like, you could be looking at a minivan, and suddenly it's a robot with a gun. 
That'll jack you up right there. That might be why, that might be what propelled the drug use in the 80s. I'm not quite sure, right? Like, that's weird, right? Like, I thought it was a minivan, but, whoa, no, it's like this out of space whatever thing with a gun shooting at me. Like, it's, there's more than meets the eye. You had to really pay attention. And so what I want you to get out of today is in order for us to overcome the enemy, we've got to see more than we see. We've got to see more than we see. First clip. Check it out. What I want you to see is that they let the enemy in. They felt like something wasn't quite right. All the radio transmission, they kept saying things like, wait, that chopper was shot down a couple. I knew a guy that was, he was on it. And yet they kept letting the chopper come in closer and closer and closer, even though they felt like it wasn't quite right. And when they finally realized it shouldn't be, it was too late. And they're in full-blown destruction. Can I just submit this? And I submit this with love and grace, right? Some of us in this room, we are in the middle of things that are blowing up in our lives, and it's because we've let the enemy in. And we knew it. We knew something wasn't quite right, and we didn't do anything until it felt like it was too late. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27. Here's, we're going to start with this, and then we'll end with it. But here's what it says. Don't give the enemy a foothold. Don't give the enemy a foothold. Now, what I want to do is I want to read the 10 verses that come before that just so we can kind of understand the context, okay? So let's start in verse 17, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. They'll be up on the screen for you if you need them. I'm reading out of the NIV. So I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Now, he's talking to Jews, and he's talking about Gentiles. So the Gentiles will be people who aren't following Jesus, and he's saying, like, don't live like them any longer, right? Something's different in you. Don't live like that. And he's, he's going to describe then in verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. First thing I want you to see is that when we begin to harden our hearts to the things of God, we end up in a place where our understanding becomes darker. It's harder to discern. Is that the enemy or is it, is it just a chopper or is it a bad thing? right, because of the hardness of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. The result of being hard towards God is, is getting a calloused heart. I don't want to get gross about it, but I run a lot, so my feet are nasty. I have calluses all over my feet, right? And then you probably got calluses. If, if you work with your hand, you've got calluses right here. I'm pointing as if I would have them. But I do have a few, right? But calluses are where, like, you just, it just builds up over time, and it gets harder and harder. And sometimes that can happen to our heart. And, again, remember, it's all because we've turned away from something. And that's what Paul is going to get to, okay? Having lost all that sensitivity, they, now they're full of greed. Verse 20, that, however, is not the way of life you learned when you learned about Jesus Christ. And we're taught in him in accordance with the truth. Everybody say truth. That's the key, the truth that is in Jesus, right? We harden our hearts and turn away from truth. The Gentiles have said, I'll live however I want. I don't care what anybody says. I'll be my own standard. I'll be my own truth. And so they've turned away from the truth of God, and that's caused a hardening of their heart, a callousness of their heart. It's hard to perceive and understand what's really going on. It's hard to see more than you see when you have hardened your heart to the truth. And so what Paul's saying is, but whoa, whoa, time out. Not you. Not you. You learned something different in Christ. You've been trained in the truth. 
And so he's going to call them in the next few verses back to truth. Verse 22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is corrupted by its deceitful desires. Deceit would not be truth. That would be the opposite of truth, right? You were taught to put that off, to put off deceit, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. And verse 24, to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. What he's saying to them is, listen, y'all, you took off lies and you put on truth. This is key. Are you seeing this theme right here? Lies and truth, right? Lies and truth. Verse, 20, verse 25, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood, there it is again, and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we're all members of one body. We don't have time to go there, but he's talking about in the body of Christ. Everybody look around the room. This is the body of Christ. This should be a place where we're able to speak truth. Not a place where I have to tell you what you want to hear, but a place where I can tell you what we need to hear. That happens in the body of Christ. If you're in a family, say amen. Because you've had those conversations, right? Uh, Tom, we need to have a family get-together. We need to have a family meeting. And your kids are like, oh, I hate these. Because family meeting means mom and dad need to say something, right? The people in charge need to talk to the people who aren't in charge. And we need to make sure that we understand where we're all at. We need to bring some truth into the family because things aren't going quite the way they're supposed to go. We're watching too much TV, too much screen time, too much whatever. We're spending too much money at restaurants. Things need to change. So sometimes even in the family of God, according to that verse, that should happen. There should be the ability for truth to prevail, to counteract falsehood. And then he says in verse 26, in your anger, do not sin. Don't you love that? Because have you been the recipient of a family meeting? Didn't you leave a little bit angry? Paul's so smart. Like, he knows how it works. If we start to bring truth where there's a lie, the people that have bought the lie tend to get a little angry. And he's like, okay, I get it. Just don't sin when you get angry. And don't let the sun go down on your wrath. It says, while you're still angry, don't let the sun go down. And here's verse 27, the last thing he says, and do not give the devil a foothold. What I want you to see is that little phrase, don't give the devil a foothold, comes at the end of ten verses that talk about truth versus a lie. It's all based in truth. And so the way the enemy gets a foothold in our lives, and the Greek word for foothold is topos. Anybody study maps, topography, right? Like you kind of know where the high places and low places are. So like this, it means place. So don't give the devil a place. Don't give him any room to operate. Don't let him stick his foot in the door and stop you from closing it so he can get in more later. And what Paul's saying is the way that we give the enemy room to operate in our lives is we reject truth and we embrace lies. And he says that it shouldn't be that way. Even in the body of Christ, you should be speaking truth to one another so that we keep the falsehood out so that the door closes all the way so that the enemy doesn't have a foothold. Are you with me? You see what I'm talking about? Make sure the enemy doesn't have a foothold. Here's why. Because the enemy wants to do only three things, steal, kill, destroy, John 10, 10. He says, the enemy has come to only steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come to give you life and life to the full. Ephesians 6, 12 says that, listen, this is really important for some of us. We get all, like, hyped up on drama. For our struggle is not, everybody say not, against flesh and blood. Here's what that means. The enemy is not the person you're looking at. 
I don't mean me. <laughs> it's not the person you're looking at. It's like so we get in a, we get in discussions, arguments, whatever, drama, and we look at the people and think that they're the enemy. But this says the enemy is not the person you're looking at. We don't we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Listen, we are in a spiritual battle. We have got to learn to recognize the real enemy. You got to recognize the real enemy because we're in a fight. That war has come to our world. And we get caught up in, in like shrapnel and collateral damage because we don't recognize the real enemy. We get caught up talking to people thinking that they're the enemy, but the real enemy is flying in on a copter just looking to find a place in our camp where he can unload all kinds of destruction. And the key is to recognize who that enemy is. And then the question would be, once we recognize the enemy, how do we fight him, right? So it's good to know who the enemy is. It's bad if we don't know what to do. And so I'm going to say this, the way you fight the enemy is you use the right weapons. Make sure that you're using the right weapons. And here's the great thing about it. You hold the most powerful weapon either right now in your hand through an actual Bible, mine's a mini Bible because it fell apart, sorry, um, or you hold it in your pocket on your phone. This is one of the best weapons that we have. You hold the most powerful weapon in this fight in the palm of your hand, either through a written word or through a digital one. Check out this next clip. So quick backstory, Sam is selling these things of his grandfather's on eBay. And so he's selling the glasses on eBay. The point here is you and I hold the key. It's the word of God. And boy, we just give it away, don't we? I don't know if I, I'll use it every, like every now and then. We, we put it up for sale. We don't use it. And it's actually the key in this fight against the enemy. This is the portion where I'm going to give you tons of scripture. They'll be up on the screen. Get your pens out. I want us to take a minute and see what the Bible says about how we should fight the enemy. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 14 and 17. Now, if you read the end of Ephesians 6, it talks about the armor of God. What I want you to see is that the armor begins and ends with truth in the word of God. So verse 14, stand firm then. First item from the armor, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Verse 17, last thing that he's told to take up. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 2 through 5. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people, in parentheses, in the church who think that we live by the standards of this world. you telling me the Bible's not relevant today? People in the church who feel like we live by the standards of this world, but Paul's going to say something different. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Verse 5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We take captive the thoughts that are against the knowledge of God. And where is the knowledge of God revealed? In the Word, right? Like, probably not YouTube. In the Word. Like, when we read the Bible, we learn the knowledge of God. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 14. 
So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Now, you may have heard this called the fivefold ministry, the fivefold gifted ministry, right? So there's five of these. There's pastors, there's apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, and pastors to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's a good thing, y'all. He's given gifts to the body to equip the body so that we can be mature and we can understand the things of God. Verse 14, then, what does that mean? After all that happens, right, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. The enemy comes in like a deceiver. I mean, I can so relate to verse 14. Have you ever been in a position where you're trying to figure out what you think about something and your answer always depends on the last person you talk to? Like you talk to one person and they're like, no, I promise like the Tar Heels are the best ever. And you're just like, yeah, they really are. And you go have another conversation and like it's a Duke fan. Like, wow, that's a good point. And then state, well, anyway, let's move on. So, um, I've been in that position, right, where, like, my opinion was swayed by the last person I talked with because they had a really strong argument. And what Paul's saying here is, man, we can spend our whole life going back and forth between opinions because we have turned away from the truth of God. But the gifts that he gives to the body, that, those fivefold ministry gifts, they're given so that we could be built up and not be swayed back and forth, but we could actually know the truth and the knowledge of God. Matthew chapter 4, we're not going to read the whole chapter, but in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is tempted by Satan for 40 days in the wilderness. He fasts for 40 days. He's tempted at the end of that. Three times Satan tempts him with something, and three times Jesus responds with, right, the Word of God, right? Not a pithy little saying they got off, he got off of Twitter, right? He, he responds with the Word of God three times. If Jesus is fighting the enemy with the Word of God, how much more? Should we be fighting the enemy with the Word of God? And then Psalm 119.11. By the way, um, raise your hand if you're still with us reading through the Bible this year. Um, I don't want to spoil a alert if you haven't read today's yet, but I think this is so, how, so cool how God operates. Today's reading is Psalm 119. And Psalm 119 is all about the Word of God. That's what we're talking about today. This is one of the verses, but there are, I mean, there's, I think 176 verses in 119, and they're all about the Word. But verse 11 says, I've hidden your Word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Here's what that means. The more Word we have in us, the less room there is for the enemy to operate. People wonder why the enemy has such sway over them. And sometimes, like, it's not to be legalistic, right? Because we're not earning our salvation. But sometimes I'll just ask a simple question, like, how much do you read the Bible? I don't really read it that much. I think we might have found the answer. Like the more you hide the word in your heart, the less room Satan has to operate in your life, the less, willing, less likely you are to give into the temptation to sin. That's what we just read. I've hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin 
against you. I've got one last clip to show you, um, but before I do, I just need to point out something very, very obvious. Say amen if you believe these two words, okay? I'm setting you up so you'll know that you can say amen loudly and proudly, right? Clear your throats. I don't want you to be like, amen, right? So be ready. I'm going to say two words. If you agree, just scream amen. Jesus won. I just want to clear that up, y'all. Jesus won. Jesus has overcome. He has the victory. He leads us in victory. Okay, I just want to make sure that you understand that. We're not, we're not fighting against an enemy, biting our fingernails, wondering how it turns out. Jesus won. It's clear. Uh, Colossians 2, 15, I love this verse. It says that Jesus disarmed the powers and authorities, and he made a public spectacle. That means he made him look like a fool, y'all. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing, 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 triumphing over them at the cross. I can't even say that with triumph. I'm going to have to get away from that word. He kicked their butt. That's what we're trying to say, right? He won. He overwhelmingly, convincingly won. So what we're going to talk about now is not, it's not going to determine whether or not Jesus won. We're not changing that. He won. What I want you to see, though, is in all those verses that we just read, and how we fight against the enemy in this battle. Did you notice how many times it talks about us? Well, I'm going to recap it for you just in case you just check this out. We are the ones who put on the armor. We take the thoughts captive. We seek the gifts in the body. We quote the word to the enemy. We hide it in our hearts so that we won't sin. That's a lot of we, right? That's not quite how I meant for that to come out, but you know what I'm saying. Like, that's a lot of things that we do, right? So that's not, like we have a part to play. What I want you to see is that like we've got a choice to make this morning. We can talk all day long about the problem is that the enemy tries to come in deceitfully. And we can talk all day long that the solution is that we have a word that we can use in that battle. And we can say, hey, but Jesus overcame the enemy, so let's just all go home and never have to worry about fighting the enemy, right? But that's not reality. Reality is he has won, but we're still stuck here fighting a pretty mad loser. And so you and I this morning, we have an invitation from Jesus, and we have a choice to make. One last clip. Jesus walked up to men and women, men just like us, and he said, follow me. And what I want you to see is this. Following Jesus is not passive. Hey, follow me. Just come sit in church and hear about me. Following Jesus is an active invitation. He's asking you, will you follow me into a fight against an enemy that I've already defeated? He's, an, he's a defeated enemy, but he's not a done enemy. He's still doing things. He's just, have you ever lost a game and been so mad that you lost that you're like, I'm going to hurt everybody I can hurt before, until the buzzer sounds, right? Like, you know, I don't know if you've ever, maybe some of y'all are super athletes. I've been on some pretty bad teams. Church softball comes to mind, you know. Like, I've been on teams that got the sportsmanship award. I hate that, right? Like, you want to win. I've been a part of games where we were getting throttled, and it was everything that I could keep just in me not not to just like as somebody's around in third base, just like bam. I'm just you're so mad. And listen, that's how Satan is. He's defeated, but he's not done. And as long as he has the ability to unleash his fury and anger on us, he will. That's why we've got to hide the word in our heart. And so when Jesus says, follow me, he's like, follow me into a battle that you have to be an active part of. And there's an urgency in his call. 
There's a cost in his call. Can we say it like this, that we have to give up the life we have in order to receive the life he offers. And I love that last line. 50 years from today, don't you want to say you had the courage to get in the car? Imagine your life five years from now, 10 years from now, 15 years from now. Do you want to be sitting in the same place, still wrestling with the same question? Or is it time to say yes to following Jesus? And I'm not just talking about people that are here that have never made that decision. I'm talking to believers who are sitting in comfortable places. And he's extending in a hand saying, follow me. First Thessalonians, this is our last verse, and then we'll pray and wrap up. First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians 5, 5 says, you are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. What does that mean? We're the children of the light. Here's what that means. The invitation from Jesus is that he has placed light within us, and he is asking you to bring the light to the fight. That's the invitation. Now, we can sit back. Eh, I'll think about it. But at some point, that car door closes, and Bumblebee drives away, right? And this morning, Jesus doesn't want to walk away from you. He's saying, come, follow me. I want to bring you and the light that I've placed in you into the fight so that others can be set free. And would you just close your eyes and bow your head? And let me just close it like this. How do we wage war against the enemy? We do it through worship, and we do it through the word. This morning, we're talking a lot about the word. Listen, how do we wage war? We do it through the worship. So I want to um, challenge you to recommit yourself to those disciplines. Very simple way to live this message out. Today, at some point, would you commit yourself to reading Psalm 119? It'll take you about five minutes. Longer if you really ponder what you're reading. But would you just recommit yourself to cherishing the Word of God? And hiding it in your heart so that you won't sin against him. So that the enemy is more easily discernible. What you'll read in Psalm 119 is that the more that we put the word of God in us, the easier it is to spot the falsehood that tries to slip in. Maybe right now while we're talking, you're even picturing the places in your life where the enemy has a foothold. Where you've allowed that door, just, just, just closed it slowly enough that he was able to get that foot in there. And the Lord, through the Holy Spirit, is revealing that to you right now. And it's just simple as saying to the Lord, God, forgive me. I'm, I'm closing that door all the way. I don't want to give the devil a foothold in my life any longer. I recognize that the enemy is trying to come in that way. And I just want to close it. And your word has revealed that. It's what the word of God does. And, and in worship is as simple as this, y'all. Maybe sometime today, maybe tomorrow on your commute to work, you just change what you're listening to. Maybe you just simply say, I'm going to try a different playlist this time, and it's going to be worship music. It's going to be whatever, a Christian singer. It's going to be somebody who's lifting up Jesus instead of talking bad about the world. I'm going to change the routine in, in the area of worship and the Word, and I'm going to see more than I see. What I want to pray over you this morning is that you would see past what you see. Jesus saw the crowd and had compassion because he could see into their heart. And God wants us to be the people in this war that see more than we see so we can minister to people that need help. 
so that we can see how the enemy is trying to deceive us. And if, if you want prayer for that, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. I want to be a better soldier in the fight. I'm gonna be, I want to be more aware of the word and more aware of worship. I just want you to raise your hand. I'm going to pray over you, and we're going to get out of here. Thank you so much. Thank you so much just for your courage, your honesty. Thank you. Thank you. You guys put your hands down. I'm going to pray for you. Father, in your name, Jesus, right now, we thank you that we are not helpless in this fight, that we have your word, God, and truth buckled around our waist. I pray that, Lord, as we pick up this sword of the Spirit, which is your word, I pray that as we, as we study it, as we um, let it just marinate in our soul, I pray that this week our eyes would be even more open to the tactics of our enemy. We cannot afford to live any longer as if we're not in a fight. And so I pray over this house, God, over those that raise their hands, that you would raise them up, God, and that you would, as they say yes to you, we sang about yes all morning long, and that on the other side of that yes, they would find themselves bringing your light into the fight, and that, that they would see the victory this week, God, in their lives and in the lives of people around them that they love, that their workplaces would be changed and different, that their families would be different, God, because we have said yes to the invitation. We're going to get in the car. We're going to follow you into this fight that we're in. And we thank you that you lead us in that fight to victory all the time. I pray that it be so over this house in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let me send you out like this. You have received the word of God, the breath of God, and the life of God so that you can now go do the will of God.